Who is your neighbour? Who is your neighbour? We're reminded of that wonderful parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10 about the, the good Samaritan. We see the lawyer come to ask Jesus. He says, how do I inherit life? How do I get eternal life? And Jesus responds with his own question. What is written in the law? The, the lawyer responds, he says, he answers, he says, you shall love the Lord with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your power, your strength, your mind, your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you're right. Love God and love your neighbor and you will live. The lawyer then tried to prove his actions right, tried to justify it. He said, but who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the parable, as we know. We know about this man that was going on his way from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, a 12-mile journey, and he got rubbed. He got beaten up, suffered wounds, was bleeding, left for dead. And we see three men come along, the first, the priest, second, the Levite, then the third, the Samaritan. We see the priest, the pastor, so to speak. He looks, but he walks on. He's in a hurry. He can't wait. No compassion. And we see this Levite who's helping the priest, who's not necessarily helping that priest, but he works within the church, within the temple to assist the priest. He comes, he stops for a moment, and he crosses to the other side. And we see, finally, this Samaritan man, who would have looked possibly on this Jew, and we know the animosity that existed between the two, the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews didn't think that, 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 that the Samaritans were anything, because they weren't of, of their tribe. They didn't love them. They hated them. But we see the compassion of this Samaritan to stop, to bind up the wounds of this man, to give him wine, antiseptic for his, for his wounds, to give him oil, to balm him, and then to take him to a nearby hotel. We know that. To care for him, to stay with him. And in the morning he left saying, the, to the in, innkeeper that if, if you need anything else, now I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll come back and pay for it. We see true compassion. Your neighbor is anyone who you have the opportunity to meet their need. It may be your neighbor. It may be your close neighbor. But it's not always dependent on proximity. There was a need. This need may be spiritual or physical need, or both. To love your neighbor as Christ loves you is a demonstration of true Christian faith. That's what James has been saying all along. Neighborly love is not based on our outward appearance, race, class, gender, or even proximity. See, that word love that is described here in other parts of the Bible, agapaho, it means doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's 
true love in display. Doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. It's the type of love that James is mentioning here. It denotes a deliberative exercise of judgment. A choice to demonstrate a compassionate act, an action. So we come to James again, verse 8. James chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're reminded from the last sermon, it's been a while, last year. James talks about true faith is in Jesus, the Lord of glory. We see that in verse 1. I didn't read that, but you see that in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. A true Christian cannot be partial and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what verse 17 goes on to say. Partiality is us showing favoritism to one person over another based on factors that are not significant or important. External factors, affluence, education, speech, maybe dress sense. See, partiality makes one to become a judge with evil thoughts. Verse 4 says that. Have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Favoritism dishonors God's creation. God himself shows no favoritism. Verse 5 says, listen, beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? See, God purposes that the weak and poor on this globe have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, a heavenly kingdom. God is not respectful of persons. So today we want to answer two questions. Why is love a commandment? And how do you then fulfill this commandment? Why is love a commandment and how do you fulfill, how do I fulfill this commandment? On your outline you see two points, the law of love. Love fulfills the law. See, James had to address the sin of partiality as as it was a commonplace. It still is now. It's a huge problem. We live in a world divided by social, economic, racial, religious differences. Soon we'll be divided by who takes the vaccine and who doesn't. But we want to see the law of love. When we look at James 2, and if we begin in verse 8, we see that if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Notice the really, we, we can read this, that if indeed we are following the royal law according to scripture, 
then this is what we would do. We would love our neighbours as ourselves, as yourselves. James reminds us of this royal law. We'll come to this in a sec. You shall love your neighbours yourself. If you do that, you are doing well. You are on the right path. James is really asking us to reflect as to whether our actions are in obedience to God's word, are in obedience to loving others. How are we to live by this commandment? How were they living by this commandment? We need to ponder on this question often. Am I loving my neighbour? If this is the law, then we need to take it very seriously. Are you moved to empathy only? Or are you you able to demonstrate true compassion as we read earlier? Or I spoke earlier about the Good Samaritan. See, on, on one level, pity is that I acknowledge your suffering. That's the first step, maybe. Then we may sympathize and, and look at someone that I care about your suffering. Doesn't mean that you're going to do anything. Empathy is the ability to understand and to feel exactly what someone else is feeling. But doesn't also mean that we're going to do anything about what they're going through or are we going to assist them. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to help. See, such a person might say, I understand and I see your pain. But maybe tomorrow. But compassion, on the other hand, is a sympathetic feeling, a concern for the right reason that leads to relieving someone's situation. It's more likely to help. Someone that's compassionate will say, I see your pain. Please let me know how I can help. In what ways have we demonstrated compassion this week? Have we demonstrated compassion this last few months, this last year? Christian, you only do well if you obey this royal law. James is addressing two sets of people. The person who's actually demonstrating love to their neighbour and the person who says they're loving their neighbour, but really the actions speak differently. Which person are you? See, person A is doing well, James writes. They understand the law of God. They're walking in love with their neighbours. They are there, they're present. They're able to meet their needs. They're doing well. But person B is in sin. They're committing sin in this context of of partiality, favoritism, one person over the other. They claim to love others, but the law convicts them otherwise as transgressors. Why? Because person B looks into the perfect law. We were reminded earlier on in James, when someone looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and forgets what they've read, what's been preached, what they've studied. They've looked into it, but they walk away, and they totally act contrary to what they've read, to what they've studied, what they've understood of God's word. It's just a knowledge, but hasn't really transferred into action. And therefore, they're not able to act towards others as they should. There is a disconnect here. So if you're not living according to this royal law, you're committing sin and the law convicts you as a transgressor. That's what James is saying. 
See, when we're talking about sin, sin is missing the mark. It's like a footballer just missing the target, not able to score in a goal. We come short of God's standards. When we transgress, we go beyond the boundaries that God has put, the things that God has put in place. When we go beyond those, that's when we transgress. Both are wrong. Both are against God's will. It's sin, essentially. See, have you ever met someone's need or helped someone? And, and to others, it seems like on the outside that you're helping them, that you, you're there, and this is such a great gesture of kindness. And it seems that on the outside, yes, but really your motives are otherwise. It's important also to think about the motives why we do things. It's not just so that other people see, but it's before the Lord. This is before the Lord. We shouldn't be moved to compassion because of what other people, we we want other people to see. See, James emphasizes this law as a royal law. Simply, it's a law belonging to the king. What we take into account is the word royal. It it signifies a declaration from, from the king, from God himself. God is the king here. He is the one that has ordained these laws. And we see that in the Levitical law that's found in Leviticus 19.18 and other parts of the scriptures. These are the principles that we must live by, the laws. So James had previously mentioned this law in chapter 1, verse 25, as the perfect law, the law of liberty. And he's echoing also in verse 12 in chapter 2, this law of liberty again. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. See, these early Christians would have been aware of the law of God in the first, in the first five books. The Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew book would be the, 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 the Torah, the first five of, of our Bible, right? And say so they would be right rooted in this law. They know this law, right? They understood the rules, the regulations of this law. They were well versed in the prophets also in the Old Testament. These books of the prophets that illustrated that God, you know, that was speaking through his prophets to say that you're falling short and this is the repercussions, reminding them of and rebuking them on the things that they've fallen short on, the sins that they've committed and that they failed to obey his commandments. The early Christians were unified. Yes, we know this in Acts. They were unified and open to share their wealth, right? And their possessions. But yet, even they, they struggled. They struggled with loving and truly loving their neighbours. That's why he's addressing partiality here. How can we hold our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet be partial? It's not right. You cannot love your neighbours truly without having a clear understanding of how truly and how dearly God loves you. To understand that, then it must transfer and transmit to action and to love others. They needed reminding of God's love. We all need this. We need reminding daily of God's love for us. See, this world is in decay and disarray because men, women, boys, girls, we need to be reconciled to our maker. Without reconciliation with God, without peace with God, 
Then there's chaos. We see this. There's chaos all around. Peace with God is the only remedy for peace with others. See, rebellion against God is at the root of destructive behaviours, actions and interactions between human beings. We see Jesus in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. He says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, again, so many experts of the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Indeed, Jesus is saying here that love, love underpins all the law and the prophets. The law, the books from Exodus 19 all the way to Deuteronomy. The prophets, we know this from Isaiah right all the way to the end of the Old Testament. That's nearly a quarter of the Bible of laws that need obeying, that require obedience. Jesus is stating here that these two commandments, loving God and loving others, they're intertwined yet distinct. You cannot say you love God and not show love to others. Likewise, you can't say that you love people, but you don't love God. These two commandments are the summation of all laws and commands in this book, in this word of God. So James puts this in this way in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold a faith in your Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You cannot say you love Jesus Christ, your Lord of glory, your Lord of glory, and not love your neighbor. Your faith in Jesus is held by your love for him, and therefore you love people. He initiates the love that we are then able to respond to and then respond to others. See, partiality is a sin and it creates division. It creates division and separates. This is the opposite of what Jesus came to do, to reconcile, to bring us back to the Father. So we may see partiality as sometimes a small sin, showing favoritism. But it's a big deal. We can't overlook this sin in our lives. This is because committing a sin or transgression brings conviction. Verse 9 illustrates this. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. See, I recently got caught speeding, right? End of last year, sometime. I'm not smiling because it's good. (laughs) Just coming off the A2. And I think I was, it's meant to be doing 30, I was doing more than that, maybe 36. And I was driving Tamworth's car, right? And um, so she got the letter through the post. But um, obviously, what, do you, what are we meant to do, right? So she, she writes back to the authorities and says, no, I didn't drive that car. My husband did. So I got the post two weeks later. So the first thing I'm thinking is, whoa, okay, what's the, what's the damage here? What's the consequence, right? And immediately I look, I'm, like, I'm looking because I know there is a conviction. I have broken the law. Right? It's the right thing to expect consequence. 
So likewise, breaking God's holy law is a sin and deserves punishment. There's got to be punishment for breaking God's law, for not being obedient, right? So James goes on to say in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Now, I, had, I broke one law, right? That law doesn't necessarily, that, that offense doesn't necessarily mean that I've broken all the laws, but the law of God is different. The law is that you break just one, one. Adam sinned once, affected the whole of humanity. Sin is serious. The sin of partiality and therefore the sin of not loving your neighbor makes you a lawbreaker, even if you fulfill all the other laws. Not just part of the law. You're found guilty of breaking the whole law of God. See, the law demands total obedience. This is the standard that James demanded that they live by, that we live by. Any failure to meet this standard or any transgression brings condemnation and consequently death. See, James illustrates this point more in more elaborative terms in verse 11. He says, for he said, but for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not murder, but do, sorry, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. See, taking the law by itself, there is no grace within the law. Disobedience only brings condemnation. You break it, there's a consequence. So breaking it is it's a sincere, it's a, it's a real, real um, thing that we shouldn't do, right? So the law existed to make us aware of sin, right? And since if there is no law, there would be all kinds of lawless deeds, we know this. But the law without grace only serves to punish and to bring judgment on us. So how are we to live under this law if we're just condemned? James says in verse 12, So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The question he poses to these Jewish Christians is, what law are you living under? What law am I living under? So by the law that you're living under is what you'll be judged eternally. See, there are different laws, different countries, right? The law of Sweden is different in the UK than it is in Nigeria, for instance. There's no speeding camera in Nigeria, as I'm aware of. <laughs> so I may have not been caught, but the law here says that I was in the wrong and I deserve punishment. So what law governs your life? Is it the old law or the law of liberty? That you will be judged by. This leads us to our second and final point. Love fulfills the law. See, some say rules are there to be broken. We know that's a lie. We're meant to keep rules, right? We're meant to keep the law. The Bible teaches two things. That you either be judged according to your obedience to the old law and the prophets, or you'll be judged by this new law of liberty. It's what James is describing, the royal law, the perfect law, the law of liberty. If Jesus is not your Lord and your Savior, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, if you're not known by Jesus, 
then you're living under the old law and we'll be judged according to that standard that brings condemnation. See, if we're looking back at my story about this driving offense, I am held accountable to the law of the land in which I drive in. It means I must abide by the letter of the law. In bringing, I bring judgment to myself when I fail to meet that standard. And it's the same if we live under the old law. The keeping of that law is dependent totally on our obedience. So if you're a fallen being, and we know we are, our ability to keep the whole law is impossible. The court of the Bible, if we are to live by that law. See, someone might say that, well, if I'm not aware of the law of God and I decide to live as I want to, then why am I held accountable and liable to God's law? That's a fair point. I don't steal. I don't murder. Um, I do and I live as I feel is right. Um, so, I mean, I govern my life. Why should I be governed by anyone else? Well, the Bible informs us differently that we are all under the law of God. So Romans 3, 9 to 20 says, But what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This is God's world. We're accountable. We're all accountable to God. He has created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that initiates the law that we must abide by. So Paul states here that the whole world is accountable to God and that through this law that he has passed down, sin is revealed. That's what it says. The law exposes our failings. For if there was no law, how would we know what we have done wrong? So even the sin of partiality is evidently showing a lack of love that deserves punishment, penalty. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, that we are under his law of liberty, a new law, a new covenant. This very God that has initiated this law is now the one that comes to fulfill the law. When we see in the Old Testament, we have seen countless of times that he makes promises, but he fulfills it. 
We see in the, in, in, in the Bible where, where, where um, God's speaking to Abraham and he, he says that you should split the animal, make, um, split them into two, one on one side and one on the other side. And we see the Spirit of God go in between. There was a covenant that was made but, and it was initiated by God where it was him that went through as well to confirm that it's him that will fulfill those promises. That's the God that we serve, the God that comes to fulfill what we can't do. Those who have faith in Jesus have been set free from the requirement of the law to, um, to fulfill and obey it in our own strength. We can't do it. We are weak. We try, but we can't. Verse 1 of James 2 says, This is for those who, are, who hold their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There is no grace within the law in itself, but man cannot introduce grace into the law that God initiates. The Pharisees taught differently. They, thought, they, they, they taught that you could do certain things to earn, earn God's mercy if you didn't obey the law fully. See, I was showing grace with my mortaring offence. You're glad I'm still here, right? I didn't go to prison or anything, right? I was given an option of an afternoon of speed awareness course. Two and a half hours. In comparison to a thousand pound fine or possibly three or six points. But the grace was initiated by the authorities. I didn't, I couldn't initiate that grace. I could have received the, the maximum penalty, but they said that Right, maybe it's the COVID period. You should go to speed awareness training. Brush up your knowledge, right? So likewise, the only person that can grant grace and mercy is God himself. He has pronounced the commandments. So what did he, what did he do? James, um, John chapter 117 says, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So we trust in Jesus because he has shown us grace and truth. Instead of facing the penalty of our sins, namely eternal death and hell and eternity away from God's presence, we have received a pardon for our sins, our transgressions. But the good news is more than this. Imagine a police officer paying my driving fine, going on a speed awareness course, taking the points for me. That's what Jesus did. God Almighty sent his son, his beloved son, to become sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. He embraced the curse that we deserved. He took our sins and he forgave them. He nailed them to the cross through his death. He cancelled the record of debt and its legal demands. In his resurrection, he de declared, death no longer has dominion over him. Romans 6, 9. So through him, we now have peace with God. We have peace with God and the peace of God. This has satisfied the requirements of the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, the old law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill the law. 
Jesus came to fulfill the old law. So how do you fulfill the royal law of love? By trusting in who Jesus is, in what Jesus has done. He is the fulfillment of the law. He has come from heaven. He has come to visit us in our weakness. He has come to save us. He has come to redeem us. He has come to pay the price to make us his own children, to take us away from destruction, to bring us into his eternal kingdom. Jesus upheld the holy standard of the law. He perfectly and personally was obedient to the law. He fulfilled all the requirements of the moral law. All the ceremonial laws, the observances, he fully satisfied them. We don't need to sacrifice anymore when we come, when we, when we sin, because of his perfect sacrifice. He came to save people like us that are not so faithful. A bride that needs cleansing, that is being kept for him. A royal priesthood that are not such great ambassadors for him. The father's love for his beloved creation compelled him to send forth his son, his beloved son, for his beloved creation. When we know how much we've been loved, then we know how much we should love others, to love our neighbours. Are you trusting in Jesus today? As I conclude, if you're not trusting in Jesus today and are yet to know him as Lord and Saviour, are yet to know who this Jesus is, the Jesus of the Bible, the one true living God, the radiance of God's glory, the Lord of glory that has come from above to reveal the character of God, to reveal the love of God, to reveal exactly how the Father is like. If you haven't surrendered to him, then consider this. Stop trying to live all by yourself. In your own strength, depending on your own perceived ideas of goodness, your own perceived ideas of right and wrong. That way is only futile. It leads to destruction. The creator of this world, and indeed the one that's created you, he has demanded that you be sinless. You can't do this life by yourself. You can't walk righteously before the Lord unless you know Jesus. He is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He demands holiness. We cannot dwell in his presence without Jesus clothing you in his righteousness. You can't fulfill the royal law of love on your own accord. We need the righteousness of Christ. He alone has the power to fulfill the law and pardon your sins. His love is steadfast. So believe on his name and be saved. He is full of mercy and compassion. He desires that you shouldn't perish, but to come to the knowledge of his truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Without the mercy of God, judgment is severe. 
the judgment of your sins and transgression of the law is without pardon and is without mercy. That's what, that's what verse 13 says. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the free gift of salvation is in Christ alone, in Jesus alone. 1 John 1, 3, 23 says, Believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. If you're trusting in Jesus and know him as your Lord and Saviour, as your King, as your brother, as your friend, well, this is God's commandment to you. Love is faith in action. We can't miss that. Our faith determines that we show love. If we're not showing love, then we've got to think, where is our faith in the Lord? See, verse 12 says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged. Verse 12, James chapter 2. As those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, you'll be judged. We'll all come before the judgment seat or throne. We'll come to judgment one day. But which will you be judged by? Will you be judged by the old law or the law of liberty that's in Christ Jesus? We must live our lives in such a way that we know the answer. We must live our lives in such a way that our words, our actions, the things that we say, the things that we do, demonstrate that we are under the law of liberty, that we have a freedom in Christ. And that freedom means that we live for him, that we are bond servants of him, that we live according to his will and his purposes. And it showed his compassion that he showed. That we are people that, are, that love him so dearly that his love, we exuberate his love to others. That we have true compassion. There's a word of warning here in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God hasn't given us what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. He has given us all of himself. He laid down his life to fulfill what was lacking in you and me. He fulfilled it in all righteousness. So if we are not able to show such great mercy, then why should we receive mercy ourselves? If we live in such a way that we are not merciful, why? Why should we receive mercy? God's judgment also would be without mercy. But there's a comfort there at the end also. God's mercy triumphs over judgment because of what Jesus has done. So we, can, we know that on that day when we face the Lord, when the Bible says that we are accountable for everything that we have done here on earth, everything that we have done in the body, when we stand before God, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our sins. Everything that we have done, yes, we are accountable for, but he sees the righteousness of God. And he says, come, welcome home, my faithful son, my faithful daughter. Let us love others, because love is a true mark of being a Christian. It's a true mark of being a Christian. 
That's love indeed and word in our motive and what we do. Amen.